David is about to come up, but before he does, I would love to read the passage from which he'll be preaching this morning. We're continuing into the Sermon on the Mount, and so I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. I think it'll be on the screens, yes? Seeing the crowds, there we go. (laughs) Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the reading of God's word. Well, it's great to worship with everyone again today. Um, My name's David, as it's already been said a few times. I'd like to add a special welcome to those of you joining us online. You know, our tech team works very hard every week to make sure you feel a part of this service. So we're so glad you're here. I see we've got our football back. Um, That's a good thing. Johnny, you should know the whole church has been praying for you for that extra week. So so thanks for bringing it. If you want to check it up here, let's see if you can get it here or if I can catch it. There we go. Good toss. Yeah. Okay, so we've been using this football to remind ourselves of the fundamentals. Each year when Coach Lombardi would start his season out, he would bring the team together and he would remind them about the fundamentals of the game. And it all starts with the football. So we have the fundamentals here at this church for more than 200 years. We've been focusing on it. And so as we start out on this new series, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, it is chock full of those fundamentals. And last week we started out and launched this series, and we saw how what Jesus basically teaches us is that he's turning our world upside down. He's literally teaching us things that we hadn't really thought of before as he brings in his new kingdom in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And so we start to see things come alive in our lives, like the first will be last, and the last will be first. Like the proud will be scattered, and the humble exalted. It's what's sometimes referred to as the great reversal, where the things that the world prizes, God despises. And the things that God prizes, the world despises. And I think that's why we feel so out of place sometimes. It's because we're not made for this world. God is shaping us for his kingdom. So let's go before the Lord and ask his help as we unpack Beatitudes 4, 5, and 6 today. Father, would you calm our hearts, settle our minds, allow us to focus on you. Holy Spirit, convict us of what you know each one of us here needs to be convicted of today. And Lord Jesus, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. It's in your great name's sake we pray. 
Amen. So if you missed last week, um, I'd encourage you to go back and check it out online. Um, you can find it on Facebook or you can find it on our website. And it's this, the thing with this series, particularly the Beatitudes, but also the whole Sermon on the Mount, is that it kind of builds on each other. So it's just a good 25 minutes or so. You can take a break during lunch or whatever and check it out if you get fall behind. Um, but we just encourage you to keep up with it, if at all possible. So last time, we used this graphic up here to step back and gain this broad view of the nine Beatitudes. We noted how each characteristic prized by Jesus on the left-hand side describes different aspects of humility. And then, of course, there's a corresponding blessing for each element of humility that reveals different features of God's kingdom. We saw how being poor in spirit was about appreciating the total depravity of our sin, a necessary condition for the kingdom of heaven. Because as a result of the fall, sin penetrates to the core of our being. Man's heart is deceitful and wicked. And what's worst, there's nothing we can do to get out of this mess, which is why we're in such desperate need of a Savior. When we realize this, we mourn as though someone has died because sin makes us dead before God. And when we mourn our sin, Jesus promises that He will comfort us with the Holy Spirit that comes to live with us when we humble ourselves and accept Christ's work on the cross to save us from our sinful condition. And that Holy Spirit also brings forth meekness, where we stop relying on our own strength and we turn to God as the source of our strength. Meekness can only come from God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that lives within us as He is sanctifying us, preparing us for the kingdom where we'll inherit the earth, the promised land for all eternity. And today as we study these next three Beatitudes, we're going to learn even more about the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work in our lives. So number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Now let's start by appreciating the use of the words hunger and thirst, because it's so much more than wanting or needing something. It evokes a real sense of a humble yearning. You'll literally eat or drink anything. You devour everything in your sight. And you guys probably have seen this when your kids come into the kitchen, especially if you have teenagers, right? They're so hungry, they'll devour anything. They'll even start eating vegetables sometimes. Well, that hunger and thirst, it comes from deep within us. It's an urge, it's a compulsion that must be satisfied as soon as absolutely possible. So in this case, it's a yearning from deep within us to be righteous or right with God, to be obedient to His Word and His will. So we're blessed or happy when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now note it's not hungering and thirsting for happy. Too often, we get this wrong. Happy is not our objective. Being right with God is. 
And when that happens, we also get the happy too. That's what we learn here. So in addition to comforting and supplying strength for meekness, the Holy Spirit also makes us hunger and thirst to be right with God. Now to make sure that we have this, we're going to go back to this red dot transformation that we discussed last week. Remember, we have this wide path on the left-hand side. It's dark. It represents the world, and it leads to eternal destruction. Then on the right-hand side, we have an arrow path. It's well-lighted, and it leads to the kingdom of God. And along the bottom, a very simplistic representation of our lives. On the left, we see a point in time in which we're born. On the right, we see a point in time in which we die. And in between, there's this line or this dash that represents our lives. And as we learned last week from the doctrine of total depravity, we are born into this world morally corrupt, enslaved to sin, and at enmity with God. So that puts us squarely on that dark, wide path headed for eternal destruction. But God convicts us of our sin. And when we are convicted and we accept His call on our lives in faith and in obedience, we turn from that dark, wide path to the lighted, narrow path. We are born again by that red drop of blood that you see, justified, made perfectly right before God. And when we're born again, we receive the Holy Spirit. We're born into this new life in Christ where we're on that well-lighted narrow path and the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us, walking us down that path, always pointing us to Jesus. Now, we're still subject to temptation. We're still going to sin. But we have a Savior. And so we're no longer enslaved to this sin. And as we discussed last week, each of us have our own unique experience on these two paths. So I want to ask you this question this morning. Is this your view of salvation? I certainly hope so. But let's be honest. We often allow the world to cloud this truth. So many people who have spent their entire lives in church still find themselves trying to be good enough to get into heaven. Because that's how it works in the world. You've got to be good enough to make the team, get the promotion, earn the bonus. But that's not how it works in God's kingdom. Remember, Jesus is turning our worlds upside down. You see, we don't do good things to get into heaven. It's because we're already in heaven that we respond by doing good things. We say that again. This is the most important thing we talk about today. We don't do good things to get into heaven. It's because we're already in heaven that we respond by doing good things. Because we're justified. We're made right. We're adopted children, heirs of the kingdom, kingdom dwellers, by virtue of that red drop of Christ's blood. There's absolutely nothing we could ever do that would make us right before God except being washed in Jesus' blood. It's a grace, a free gift of eternity in heaven. And when you get something as amazing as this, you really can't help but respond in obedience. You know how you feel when someone does something nice for you? 
Like maybe they buy your cup of coffee. Well, you feel compelled to respond, don't you? You certainly say thank you, but you probably try to buy their next cup of coffee. Well, this just isn't a cup of coffee. This is salvation. This is eternity with the king in his kingdom. So we're compelled to respond. And how? By hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So where does that come from? Well, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As we walk down that sanctifying path, that well-lighted narrow path on the right, he's always pointing us to Jesus. And the more we see his goodness, the more we hate our own sin, the more we yearn to confess, repent, and mourn it. And the more we hunger and thirst to be right with him, to the point where we're finally fully satisfied. And although we won't ever be fully satisfied on this side of heaven, because we live in a world mired in sin, we will one day be completely satisfied when we stand in the presence of the King. That's the truth of the gospel message. Now, the gospel means good news. But it's not just good news. It's great news. It's actually the best news ever. Because we're a dreadful hot mess We deserve eternal destruction, but Christ rescues us. He extends us mercy. Number five, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, I have to be a little careful with this one, because it's tempting to read it in isolation, where we only get mercy if we give mercy to others. But remember, we're never the first mover. God is always the first mover, and we respond. And this truth plays out yet again whenever we view this in the context of the other Beatitudes. That's why these all build on each other. We're on that dark path, headed for eternal destruction, getting exactly what we deserve because of our sin, and yet God shows us mercy by rescuing us from the fire of hell by the red dot of Christ's blood, even though we don't deserve it. So this is cosmic stuff. If we've truly grasped the enormity of this gift, how can we then not show mercy to our fellow man? Especially when, even though people can treat us pretty badly, it's typically only in a temporal, worldly sense. Now to be clear, I'm not minimizing some of the hurt and suffering we've all experienced over the years from other people. It's a real thing, but it pales in comparison to the eternal hurt and suffering of hell. God has extended us a great mercy. And it's, of course, easy to see how our own individual problem with sin is compounded by the fact that we share this planet with 7.5 billion other sinners. That means people are going to sin against us, and they're going to sin against each other. And these sins are going to put us all in these uncomfortable situations. So how should we respond? Well, in this beatitude, Jesus teaches us that in his kingdom, he expects his people to show mercy, just as they've been shown mercy, no matter what comes our way. So once again, Jesus turns our world upside down 
Because you don't get to the top of this world by cutting people a break. How often do we hear things like, serves him right for acting like that? Or she's just getting what she deserves. But mercy, by definition, is not getting what you deserve. So Jesus is calling us to something much more different here. Every one of us has probably been in this awkward situation where someone, maybe a homeless guy, asks us for some spare change. That inner voice in us is like, man, why don't you get a spare job, right? Or you think to yourself, you know, if I give this guy some cash, he's just going to go off and spend it on some bad habits like gambling or drinking or smoking weed or whatever, right? But we don't verbalize that because it's awkward. So what do we typically do? We just kind of put our head down, we look at our shoes, we kind of nod our head, and we walk away. Now don't misinterpret. Jesus isn't teaching that we're to fund lazy people or support people's bad habits, but he is teaching that we're to show mercy. Do you even know why the guy is in the position that he's in? Did you even try to understand the situation? Have you ever been in a tough position and needed some help. You see, every time we interact with another person, we paint an image on the canvas of their hearts. It's called a memory, and it sticks with us. It often affects and even shapes our lives. So once you ask yourself just a couple of quick questions, what kind of images have been painted on the canvas of your heart over the years? I trust I'm not alone. We all have some pretty challenging stuff that we deal with. But perhaps a more important question for us to ask, what kind of images have you been painting on the canvas of other people's hearts? Are they merciful? Or are they cold, hard, judgmental images? Because Jesus teaches us to paint mercifully like he did. When we see someone with physical needs, Regardless of the cause, we're to extend mercy. Cut them a break, even though they don't deserve it. When someone unknowingly causes an offense against us, they didn't even mean it, we should try to overlook it, even though they don't deserve it. When someone knowingly sins against us, we should confront the sin, but we should also forgive them, extend them some mercy, even though they don't deserve it. Because you see, in God's kingdom, mercy reigns. We deserve eternal destruction, yet God shows us mercy. How then can we not extend it to other people? And I realize this requires a great deal of humility, both on the side of the person extending the mercy and the side of the person receiving it. But that's actually the whole point of what Jesus is teaching. We must resist the urge to crawl up on God's throne and sit in judgment on others. Because in God's kingdom, we know that mercy triumphs over judgment. And you know, it was the Holy Spirit who later that day convicted you when you walked away from that homeless guy. It bothered you, didn't it? And it's a good thing. Because you painted something on the canvas of his heart that you shouldn't have. Kingdom dwellers, they don't do that. Not in Christ's kingdom. We treat him as fellow human being. We look him in the eye. We talk to the guy. See if we can help. 
not necessarily by extending him some cash, but by extending him some mercy. See, mercy is not about the condition of the homeless man's heart. Mercy is about the condition of our hearts. Number six, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Again, as we've discussed, the depth of our sin is so pervasive that it permeates our entire ecology, body, mind, heart, and soul. If we're going to begin to understand the depths of our sin, we have to see it in the light of how God has designed us. Each of those dimensions, the body, the external stuff, the mind, the heart, the soul, the internal stuff, we're all uniquely made. It's what makes us uniquely human and what distinguishes us from each other. That's important for us to grasp, because if you're like me, I don't always understand why certain sins seem to bother me more than other people, and why other people are stuck in a sin that doesn't seem to affect me. So let's consider our uniqueness in the context of Cami, since we all know her. And she has such distinguishable external features. She smiles a lot. She has a loud and distinctive voice that you can hear all the way across the parking lot. She's always on the move. She's like the Energizer Bunny. And she makes poor Jody do all the cooking. <laughs> now, you can infer a great deal about Cami from those external actions. But as you get to know her more, you start to see what's inside of her, what makes her tick, how she thinks, her sense of humor, her curiosity, her disposition. We begin to appreciate all the complexity of what makes Cami uniquely Cami. There's never been anyone like her before. There will never be anyone like her again. And that goes for every one of us in here. Now, I'm just getting to know her, but some of you have known her so long that you could pick her out in the dark. When something changes around the church or there's a new program, you're like, well, that's Cami, right? Because it's got her marking all over it. So, when we think about it in this context, it's easy to see how those external features that we have often mask what's going on internally. So if we think about the face paint that we often put in our lives, it doesn't always wash between what those internal intentions look like and those external actions. It can take a while to truly get to know someone because those don't often align. We're all pretty good at that, putting that face paint on, which is why it's easy to observe external actions, but so much harder to see what's going on behind the scene. But again, Jesus turns our world upside down because he doesn't just want pure external actions. He wants pure internal intentions too. He demands a pure heart in his kingdom. Now think about how big of a challenge this is. How many times has this happened to you? You're kind of at home, maybe it's a Saturday, you've had a really long week, and um, you just want some quiet time. And all of a sudden, your pocket starts buzzing. So you pull out your phone, and you're like, oh man, not this clown again. He always wants something from me. So you're like, well, I'm not going to hang up because he'll know I hung up on him, so I'm just going to put it down, right? And you kind of walk away. And then he just keeps buzzing, and it just keeps buzzing. He just keeps calling. So you're like, well, maybe I need to extend this guy some mercy. So you pick up the phone, because maybe he needs something. And you answer it like, hey, bro, 
Yeah, how's it going? Oh, you bet. I'll be right over. Always happy to help. We've all done that, right? Now, some of you are thinking twice before you give me a call next time, aren't you? <laughs> so, the external action looked pretty pure. Always happy to help. But the internal intention sure wasn't, was it? And the real problem is that God knows our insides. So cleaning up our actions does not make us pure in his eyes. In fact, later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus equates anger with murder and lust with adultery. You're not going to want to miss those sermons. We think eternal destruction is only for those murderers or adulterers, but we've been missing the point all along. It's much less than that. It's not just the act of murder. It's the mere seed of anger that forms the intention of our hearts. Because you see, anger is the intention behind the action of murder, just like lust is the intention behind the action of adultery. So think how humbling it would be if others could see what our hearts really look like. What if we could grab a picture of your heart right now and pop it up there on the screen for the whole church or the whole world to see for that matter? It's terrifying, isn't it? But that's exactly how God sees us. So here's the thing. This seems unachievable, but not quite. First, the Holy Spirit is within us, sanctifying us, which is that purifying process of sorts, moving us along that well-lighted narrow path where we become more Christ-like. And while we won't have completely pure hearts on this side of heaven because sin still impacts us in our lives, but we will one day have completely pure hearts when we enter the kingdom by virtue of Christ's blood. So as you look at this image up here, ask yourself, do you really believe this? I don't mean like, well, I want to believe it. I mean, it certainly looks like that narrow path has a much better outcome than the wide, dark path. I hope it's true. I mean, do you really believe this? Have you accepted the truth of Jesus? Are you washed in his blood? Are you headed for his kingdom? Have you been water baptized, repented, and turned from that wide path to the narrow path? Have you been spirit baptized? Are you walking hand in hand with the Holy Spirit, allowing him to guide you down that path, sanctifying you towards a pure heart? And if not, then what are you waiting for? I don't know. Because when we receive the Holy Spirit and we ask him to marshal our hearts, we begin to see those internal impurities like anger and lust lose their grip on us. And when we receive our inheritance in the kingdom, our hearts will be pure and we'll finally see God. That's our life's objective. That's what life's about. We see and experience things, careers, marriages, kids, grandkids, scenic views, holidays, all those things that make up our lives, you name it. We seek these things in our life, but the ultimate experience we seek, what we've been designed for, is to seek God's face, to be in the presence of our Creator, where we glorify and enjoy Him forever. So there's certainly a lot for us to chew on this week, 
So if this went a little faster, it was too much, check it out online. Easy to find. But here's a super quick rundown on those six Beatitudes we've covered so far. First, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's a necessary condition for the kingdom of heaven. We acknowledge our total depravity as a result of our insidious sin. We mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, as though someone has died because sin makes us dead. But Jesus promises to comfort us with the great comforter, the Holy Spirit, who transforms our inner self into meekness. Blessed are the meek, those that no longer draw strength from self, but rather draw their strength from God. That same Holy Spirit makes us to humble or to hunger and thirst for righteousness, compelling us to be obedient to God's word and his will. We don't do good things to get into heaven. It's because we're already in heaven that we respond by doing good things. Blessed are the merciful. When we see the great eternal mercy that Jesus has extended us, we can't help but extend mercy to others, even though they don't deserve it. And six, blessed are the pure in heart, to be in God's presence, to see him. Both our external actions and our internal intentions must be completely pure. And as unachievable as that all sounds, Christ's blood provides that way. But again, it all comes down to humility. I hope this image that we see of ourselves kneeling at the foot of the cross is burned into the canvas of our hearts. The world doesn't want anything to do with it, but humility is what rules the day in God's kingdom. Let's all put humility into action this week. Lord, may your Holy Spirit compel us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful, and to be pure in heart. Satisfy us with your presence. Show us your mercy in new ways each day so that we may glorify you for all eternity in your presence. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. It's for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. So for our response time today, we're going to remain seated and focus on our desire to be right with God. Maybe consider some people that we need to show mercy to in our lives and identify areas where we need to be pure in hearts so that our external actions align with our internal intentions. 